You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 104. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Check us out at codingblocks.net. We find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments. Am I recording? I am. <laughs> comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www. .codyblocks.net. Find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood, and I am recording. <laughs> I'm Joe Zach. I am also recording. Phew. And I am also recording, and I am Michael Outlaw. Very nice. All recording. This episode is sponsored by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products that their customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy. Best part is that Clubhouse is truly built for developers by developers. And you can tell in the way that they've sprinkled things like Git tips throughout the UI. And they even make a big point to highlight open source projects that they integrate with. Yeah, and log in and immediately see your work queue, active tasks, upcoming due dates, and your activity feed. It's easy for people on any team to focus in on the work on a specific task or project while also being able to zoom out in order to see what work contributes to the bigger picture using the fast interface. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use every day like Slack or GitHub, for example. Getting out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality software on time. Sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash coding blocks. Again, visit clubhouse.io slash coding blocks to get your two free months and see why companies like Elastic and Full Story and Launch Darkly like Clubhouse. All right. So today we're talking about progressive web applications, uh, otherwise known as PWA or PUA. I fully expect to have a lot of fun with that term tonight. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't think anybody refers to him like that. Yeah. No, I stole it from Alan, actually. That was his joke earlier. Did you, did you write your latest poa? Yep. All about the poas. I just made one earlier. Very good. Uh, I, I spit those things out. Poa, poa, poa. <laughs> but uh, if you're not familiar and you haven't uh, already shut us off for the evening or morning, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't already stopped listening. Uh, progressive Web Applications, PWA, are reliable, fast, and engaging websites that meet some particular qualifications. In this episode, we're going to talk to you about what the, the apps are. We're going to give you our take on those qualifications, and we'll talk about kind of the what's and the why's. And uh, first of all, I wanted to thank uh, MVP, Nicholas Marquera, from the Frame Wars, Frame Wars uh, podcast for turning me on to PWAs a while back when we were uh, getting started with QIT. And uh, now I'm totally on board, and I'm going to try and sell it to you guys. All right. All we'll right. See if we're buying. So uh, with that, let's let's get into our uh, favorite portion or one of our favorite portions. I don't think we've ever cl- officially classified this as someone's favorite portion of the show, but it's we definitely, definitely up there. It's definitely up there where we like to uh, give everybody a uh, say thank you for everyone who left us a review. So I'll start with iTunes. So we have fresh slice of pie. Iron Lewis to you and Vet Kid too. Very nice. And on Stitcher, we have Wesley Kaufman 
Andrew sucks for taking three years. Yes, indeed. But you did. So that's awesome. And it's never too late. It's never too late. So yes, we'll always take it. Wait, say that last one one last time. Herbaderp. There you go. Yeah. So that's thank my, you all for. I love that name. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and seriously, thank you for taking the time to write us. We super appreciate it. Got some really good reviews there. So thank you. Yeah, speaking of great things, I just want to mention we had a great time in Orlando, Orlando Co Camp. We had a, a booth set up. We gave away a lot of hats, a lot of stickers. We just had a, an overall great time. So I wanted to say uh, thanks to everybody for having us out there and coming to say hello. And uh, thanks for uh, putting up with our craziness because it got pretty crazy. It did. And, and I got to say, for anybody that signed up for the newsletter, uh, some of you <laughs> won't be getting an email because <laughs> I don't know what you wrote in. <laughs> But I couldn't read them. So there's going to be a handful of you that are going to miss out on those. So I apologize. But um, we won't ever be doing the handwritten sign-up sheet again because that, that's really hard. There's a reason we all program, I think. Well, how yeah, about we say this? If if you suspect that your handwriting might have been one of those that couldn't be read and you want to at least sign up for the newsletter, head to www.codingbox.net. You can find the link at the top right to sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. Go ahead and get on in there. Um, but yeah, we did. We had a really great time. Met some great people. I I mean, outlaw was in full salesman mode, uh, all day long, which was awesome. I was in my zone. And, yeah. And, and Joe, he presented on Jamstack. I presented on Kafka. Like it, it was a good time all the way around. I think donuts might have been involved. Donuts. Yeah. Yes. We had a great panel with the, the guys from six figure developer. Yep, we did. So that was that was John, Clayton, and Nash. Had a really good time with them. So yeah, man, just overall a really great event. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that mailing list, just wanted to mention too that we're going to be talking about the programmatic, programmatic, the pragmatic <laughs> programmer book coming up. And uh, if you haven't read that, I want to encourage you to either sign up on the mailing list or be keeping an eye out for an email because we're going to run a contest and give away a couple copies. So you can be reading along with us because uh, it's an awesome book and it's even better to read along with people. I was so yep. hoping that you were going to finish that and call it like the programmatic programmer. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see where you were going to go with this. Yeah, hey, that'd be we, pretty cool. If we have one more thing we want to do. So we met uh, Corey from Twilio and he does a Twitch stream and we told him we'd give him a shout out on the show. And especially now that we know his kid listens, his kid's two years old and he laughs along with us. So that's even better. So definitely if you're into watching the live coding thing, go to www.twitch.tv slash C L D U B Y A. So that's twitch.tv slash C L W which is, I, I love that. Um, that's, and, uh, that's so how that, you know that your dad jokes are on point when the two year olds are laughing. Right. Yeah. There it's amazing. Go. So definitely go check him out. He's trying to grow his Twitch audience over there. Really great guy. We, we sat there and chatted for quite a while and, uh, yeah, go, go, go see what he's got going on. Yeah. And as always, we'll have links in the show notes too. If uh, you need some help finding that. All right. And, uh, on to the meat. So, so what? Are progressive web apps? Well, in short, puh are websites that behave like apps. We can't say that anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time you say it, I'm like, wait, I didn't. What did you just try to say? <laughs> Start over. Right, what no are promises. progressive web apps? <laughs> it's, 
Oh, man. Okay. In short, PWA are websites that behave like apps, though, which means that they're installable. They have offline support, which is pretty interesting for a website. Uh, they support things like push notifications via features like service workers, which we're going to dive into. And uh, they're also in a couple of uh, app stores now. So you can find PWAs and things like the Google Play Store, Windows Store, um, maybe Kindle, too. I don't know. They're uh, kind of popping up everywhere. But, uh, yeah. So um, they're pretty good already. And they're getting better all the time. Uh, Chrome 73 just added a couple of new features, uh, made things a little bit better. Apple has been kind of dragging their feet on some of the features. It's still a little bit awkward, I understand, but uh, I don't actually have an Apple device anymore, so I can't really explain what the dilly is there. Yep, I, all I have is a is a MacBook, which just kind of works because I only use Chrome. I guess Safari is probably on there somewhere. <laughs> oh, a terminal. I'm sure you're in terminal. Terminal, terminal all the time. Yes. So the the question that I wanted to ask is why? Why a PWA? Yeah, and so I think the the kind of the big verses there is really kind of the the age old question of like website versus native app. So you know, if you kind of ignore that question, say yeah, there's times when you need a native app because you need uh, you know to access something that you can't access via a website like files, or maybe you've got some big process, heavy processing, you need to do like video rendering or something. That's a time when you need like a native application. And I kind of think for everything else, like websites are really great because they tend to work on most devices, and you don't have to uh, worry about individual app stores and all the crazy things you need to do there. So I think that's pretty much a you know, kind of age old debate over whether native experiences are better or faster, or, you know, feel more natural, like all that stuff still applies. But specifically when it comes to a traditional standard out of the box website versus PWA, there are like a, a kind of a bunch of advantages. I guess we can all kind of hop in here. Well, I, I, think I, the, I wanted to add in on the why if you were done. Yeah, because I had a couple other points that I wanted to add to that. So I got some videos that I'll, I'll include uh, in the show notes. But um, one of them was from a uh, Google developer evangelist. And uh, he he said that um, of some of the reasons as to like why you should care about PWAs, like one of them was they said, like, here's the, you know, the number, the average user installs. Well, here, let's make a game of it. The average user installs blank number of apps Every day, uh, I can't. I can't take part in this. This was also part of a plural site thing. So it's part I, of every article and every video about PWAs because it's the yeah. most amazing stat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was zero. Zero, <laughs> yes. zero new apps get installed, yeah. right, by the average user. So, so the reasons that they were citing for like installing an app was not only the co- the, the the money cost of the app if it costs anything, but the cost in terms of like the resources that it takes on the device. And so a lot of users don't bother with that. But, you know, so while native application use is what they use the majority of on on a given device, they might only use like one or two applications on that device. And so I think it, I want to I don't remember what the percentage was. It was something like, you know, 87 percent is spent in native apps and 13 percent was in you know mobile browser. Right. But. And that browser, you're going all over the place. I don't, I could be, I know you're questioning like those numbers. So don't hold me to that number. I don't remember the number, but it was extremely offset like that. Like it, it, there was an extreme difference from one to the other. Right. And the point that, that, that they were making though, is that, uh, you know, your chances of getting someone to install your app through the app store 
that's probably slim because a lot of people aren't aren't going to do it. But you have a much better chance of getting them to come to the, to your w- website. And if you can make your website act like that, then it's better. In the uh, the fact that you can have things like notifications are things that can draw users back to your application. And they had some stats on like how that improved it as well. Yeah. So tacking on to that, like the interesting part was what you said was true, right? Like there's zero installs on, on an average from any particular user on any given day. And so of all the applications installed on a user's device, they broke down the stats on that. And they said, really only the top three or four are used very much at all. The rest of them like literally just taper off into no man's land. And here's the crazy part of those top 10 apps. Guess who owns all of them? Google. Google, Facebook, and Amazon is almost every one of the top 10 apps. I think it was either eight of 10 or nine of 10. So, so basically what they're saying is unless you're just some super niche app out there, that, you know, I don't know, some sort of game that people will tend to play a lot, like when Candy Crush was popular, basically you're not getting hit, right? And so that was really interesting. On the flip side, the so I don't know about the web app you or the web usage on the phone, but they did say like app usage has gone up X percent, but web page hits have or they're like way above and beyond what a regular app is. So even then, like Again, going back to the web page type thing, it's kind of interesting because the whole point of this PWA thing is to make it an app. So it's, it's an icon on your desktop type thing on your home screen, but then give it the hooks like the notifications and all that stuff that, like you said, outlaw to bring you back to it. So that was really the poll. Yeah. I actually found the, the part of the video and I had the numbers right. It was 13% mobile web versus 87% were apps. And there was another metric that they had in here that was like 78% of the time is spent in three in the, in the user's top three apps. So like you said, if that's, uh, you know, Chrome, Facebook and Amazon for shopping, right? Like, you know, I mean, that makes sense, right? Yep. And, um, and if I remember right, I want to say Facebook was two of the top three. Facebook and Facebook Messenger were the two of the top three apps that are used. And that's where people spend most of their time. There was another point, too, uh, related um, from uh, this was from Windows Central. They, they had a different perspective on it. Like another reason why you should care about uh, progressive web apps was that from as a developer kind of point of view, uh, just like, you know, we, we've talked in the past about like, um, like the longevity of your career and like surviving a recession and things like that. Right. So in that kind of vein, right. They were just saying that, well, from a company perspective, right. If you have to have a choice of, Hey, let me, let me hire a Swift developer. So I can have an iOS app. Let me hire a Java developer. So I can have an Android app. Oh, let me hire a web developer, a full stack web developer. So I can also have a web app. Right. And like if you're, especially if you're a small company, right. Like that, that's an expensive proposition to have like separate developers for each one of those. Whereas if you just focus on the PWA side, right, you could have everything all in, you know, you could have the best of all worlds type of situation. Well, that was the other interesting thing about the PWA too, that I don't know that we hit on. We talked about notifications, but you also do get access to the underlying OS features. Like you can get access to the camera, you can get access to, uh, you know, 
the microphone. You can get access to some of those other things, right? That, that you don't get with just a web page accessing it. And so you may not have access to all the underlying hardware, but there was also, I, I forget some of the other ones that they talked about were like Bluetooth connectivity and, and things like that. So, so you do get additional features out of the box for having a PWA. So, you know, pretty, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned like the, the what earlier, you know, like you gave your, the quick synopsis of what it is. Um, but the, uh, the guy from Google, he had a quick analogy for it that was fire. It's fast, it's integrated, it's reliable, and it's engaging. I, I like I like that way of remembering it. Yeah, it's just kind of weird because like you can have other things that are fire that aren't necessarily uh, yeah an that's app, the but that is kind of distinctive about it. But that's a couple other things I wanted to call out too, um, specifically versus websites, is that it works offline. So that's really important for like say a, a PWA like QIT where you can <laughs> download a bunch of podcast episodes and would suck if you went through a tunnel and all of a sudden your podcast stopped playing. Or you, uh, you know, go on an airplane or something and all of a sudden you couldn't access, you know, because we need your data. And it doesn't work like that because luckily we've got the service worker. We've got everything cached. And so you can go ahead and queue everything up, go on a plane and not worry about it because it works just fine when there's no internet connection. Which is kind of crazy for a website when you think about how things, you know, usually work with websites. It's uh, very counterintuitive. But in practice, it works out really well. Uh, also, uh, yeah, just like you mentioned, um, faster than typical websites. And that's because a lot of things are cached locally. Um, you actually, uh, install some files on the, on the person's device. So like a phone or computer. And so there's uh that nice little bump and, you know, Google is fast and Google also loves PWAs. In fact, if you, if you Google PWA, a progressive web app, you'll see that most of the articles about it are actually kind of owned. And a lot of the videos done about it are actually officially sponsored by Google. So they're very, very pushing this very much. You should very, add very, very pushing, very, very pushing. <laughs> so uh, so why not? Microsoft loves it. Microsoft so. does love it too. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Pluralsight course that I was watching to sort of get a heads up on it. I think it was called, uh, it, it was called PWA fundamentals or something like that. And it was, it was done by a guy that is a product manager at Microsoft. Well, I was coming out again. This is the take from that, uh, that other video that I referenced though, but um, the takeaway was that from the app store point of view, right? Like, I mean, mm. historically that's been a problem for Microsoft. Like they don't have the app store that iOS and Android have had, but, uh, as companies are putting out their PWAs into the world, then they can just put that app, that PWA, that progressive web app in their app store, right? Because all it is, is a pointer to a website at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So why not? And, and now their, their app store can have like, legit apps that might not have otherwise been there. Absolutely. And um, actually, too, um, MS Dev Show has done two separate interviews with uh, Microsoft employees about PWAs. Interesting. Yeah, I listened to both of them twice, too. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> great episodes. Great job, guys. Uh, also, I wanted to mention, too, that you can get your app in some app stores. I think we kind of already hit on that. But um, actually, uh, the Windows Store is a big one. And I've heard that they're going through and actually starting to add some automatically. Mm-hmm. So as they're just kind of crawling around with Bing or whatever. But also, um, there's a couple other ways that you can uh, submit your store. You can either like package up your application and uh, do it that way. Or I think there's actually a more streamlined approach now where you can just kind of give me your URL. And that's really nice too because if you need to do an update or something, that means you don't have to go back through approval. You don't have to do all the tests or everything because it's just a website, right? So they approve it once and it's through. 
And uh, that's also uh, something I want to kind of hit on too with the stores is, um, you know, Google can reject your app. Like say if, um, you know, one of your competitors does a takedown or something or tries to uh, cease and desist you or same with Apple. If like Apple decides next week that they don't like something about your application, they can shut it off. And if you've developed that in Swift, you got nowhere else to go. So that's a pretty big deal. So I think most small companies too, like you have some sort of website, like your chances are you're probably going to want some sort of web application if you've got an application you need to do. So why not just do everything there and adapt it so it can also be used as a progressive web app? And then that way, if you need offline support or whatever else, then you can get that through a website and it's going to work for either experience. So why not? I don't know. I don't have a, a real compelling reason. We're going to dive into the, the, the separate qualifications for um, for PWAs and we can kind of talk about point by point. But I don't think there's a really good reason in general not to make your website into a PWA unless there's some sort of specific reason about your application like, well, I can't do this because of business reasons. Well, what about if you want native looking applications? PWAs aren't going to give you that. Yeah, I can't care about that, though. It's funny. I was actually having a conversation with somebody else about that earlier, might even been today, and it, it doesn't bug me as long as an app works well. I don't really care if it looks like iOS or if it looks like Android. I know that they have differences in how they do tabs and styling and all that kind of stuff. I don't really care as long as it works, right? But yeah. that is one. That is one concern that some people will have, and you know, maybe speed is an issue. Like you said, if there's, if you have some heavy hitting things that matter, then maybe that that's a big deal, right? If you need, if you need more raw processing, then that could be one, but that's probably not going to be something that you had as a website that you'd want to turn into a PWA type thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to write your game in this, right? Right. Yep. I'll tell you like, uh, I mean, I've got an iPad and an Android phone, and there's a couple of apps that I use in common. And it's so annoying when they're different because they, sometimes they have different mm-hmm. abilities or some, something's just not in the same spot. I'm sure you've had that experience with like a mobile website and the desktop website where you're like, where's the thing? Where's the thing? Oh, let me go to uh, open the desktop version in full, and then you can scroll down and find whatever you need. The only other reason I can think of a why not is if you have a website that doesn't already adhere to like responsiveness. Like it could be a pretty big undertaking to try and turn that into some sort of PWA, or if there's going to be an offline mode, like we were talking about, it, it might be a bit difficult to get your thing set up in a way to where that's going to work out well. Yeah. But I mean, you should fix that anyway. <laughs> so that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> like, uh, well, I mean, Google kind of cited like, you know, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to take on the full site. So they cited examples of, of various companies uh, where they just made portions of their site uh, PWA. So there was an airline, I can't remember which one specifically, but you know, to take on the entire thing as a PWA was a bit too much, you know, too much effort, too much time, too many resources involved. But if they were able to do just like say uh, the, the, the post ticket purchase experience where you just want to like get your ticket and be able to see it and scan it as you're going through security, right? Like have that kind of capabilities there, um, you know, for, for the like frequent flyer of that particular airline. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really nice to just have say like my itinerary, you know, if yeah. that was the only thing, then that would, that would be great. That'd be a great thing. 
Well, uh, there is an official list of requirements that Google has published, and Google is the one that kind of coined the term, came up with it. There's a guy, uh, Alex Russell, that kind of spearheaded the whole thing initially. Microsoft is now on board. Uh, Mozilla is big on it, too. And, and uh, you'll see if you go to each one of their respective sites, there's also uh, a few things that are like slightly different about like, their kind of high-level definition of what it means. And I just thought it was kind of funny. I mean, for the most part, they all boil down to the same thing, basically. Their websites that behave like apps, and they should work really well on different devices. Uh, did want to hone in on what we mean by the term progressive. Cause like when I hear progressive, I still kind of think about like progressive image loading or something kind of like loads and crappy and it gets better and better and better. Like if you look like in the nineties, if you're like downloading a picture of a, a big dog or something, then, you know, you might kind of get like the top strip and it would slowly go in or like with GIFs, it would actually kind of like almost like fade in in a weird way. Am so I that's the only one me. that would think of, uh, progressive insurance in the the price gun? Am I the only one? Is it just me? I think it was just you. I actually had nothing in my head. <laughs> so progressive, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. You've never seen flow in any of the, like, 18 billion progressive insurance? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have seen them. I'm saying I, that didn't come into my mind at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in so this particular case... Uh, progressive basically refers to the overall strategy to progressively enhance the user experience based on the abilities of the device at the given time. So if you don't have internet, then you do whatever you can without internet. And for a lot of websites, that's going to, you know, <laughs> hamstring you pretty bad. But in a lot of cases, there's still things like you can do, like you mentioned the itinerary, you like, you don't have to have the, uh, you know, internet connection constantly available in order to display the last known itinerary. And hopefully it hasn't changed in the meantime. Yeah, the airline thing's a really good example of that, right? Like you've already checked in or whatever and you have your boarding pass. You shouldn't have to be connected to the internet to be able to see that boarding pass. Yep. Now, I don't know that it is one, but one that would come up as like a an excellent example uh, would be the, um, do you remember the cloud reader, the Amazon cloud reader? Mm-hmm. It was like reader.amazon.com. Com, oh yeah, with the URL. If you had a book or something. Yeah. yeah, it was like it was like the the web browser experience for Kindle. But I mean, you could see how like that would be an amazing uh, PWA if they haven't already made it one, because you know once you've downloaded the book, you know chances are you're not going to need to go to, uh, you know back out, uh, you know make another network connection, and so that way if you're like on a subway, right, going you know underground, no big loss there, right? Oh, dude, that's actually a perfect example of what the PWA is made for, and we'll get into the service workers later, but. What you're talking about is like when you think about a Kindle, it syncs your position up to the cloud, right? So as you read further into a book, like you started on page 20, you hit the subway, you come out of that thing, you're on page 50. The whole time it's keeping track of that stuff locally because it knows that it has no internet connection. And then as soon as it gets connection again, it can sync that information up to the cloud and say, hey, you're on page 50, right? So that's a perfect example of what the PWA is supposed to give you. Yep. Uh, another example too. So we mentioned that uh, like the internet connection is also just screen resolution. Like you may be on a big flat screen monitor, you may be on a little Blackberry or whatever. Uh, there's also other things like, um, you know, GPS, like GPS signal loss, just like you mentioned, like it would stink if Google Maps just shut down as soon as you lost GPS signal for half a second. It doesn't work like that. Luckily, like I think you can even like browse around the world and stuff. Um, when you're offline, like on airplane mode or whatever on Google Maps and just you could figure things out that way. It's still useful to you. It's just not as good. And, you know, the the website basically gets progressively better as uh, their, your abilities open up again. So I uh, wanted to hit on some popular uh, PWAs. Dev.2 is actually one that I use all the time. 
Uh, it's a developer kind of blog site. If you're not familiar with it, it's a nice community, but the, the app just works really great. And, uh, it's that also one great is, for links. That one is really nice. I mean, yep. it's so smooth. The, the scrolling on it, you could just, yeah. Yeah. That's they actually did one really that I installed on my that. desktop too. So that's really sharp. And actually, um, it gets funny. It's funny to say that like, it gets rid of the Chrome in the browser. So things like the bookmark bar or stuff like that. And, uh, they actually have the ability to set the color of like the, the top, the top bar and everything. So it's just a really nice experience and it makes it feel like an app. It, okay. Yeah. So, so tell me this. You said that you installed it on your desktop. What exactly do you do to install this on your desktop? Yeah. So it's kind of awkward. So on a desktop computer like Windows, you go to dev.2. <laughs> You got to hit that little dot, dot, dot up in the type top right. And it says like install dev community. It's the name of the website. Now on a phone, it's going to be a little different. Google and Apple both do a couple things differently. I'm not really sure what Apple does anymore, but Google will actually see you going to the same site over and over again. And it'll say, Hey, this is a PWA. Do you just want to go ahead and install this on your phone? And it'll actually prompt you. And so if you, you can override that, of course, you can go a little dot, dot, dot there too and install it. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that it'll actually prompt you to install. And you'll see some uh, websites too will actually, um, they'll see that you're on a device and they'll give you a little pop-up that says like, hey, did you know we're a PWA? Just click this button, install on your home screen. So I've seen that for the phones, but I, for the life of me on the desktop, like I'm at dev.2 and I see nothing that yep. says... Yeah, you got to go find it. So like in Chrome, for example, you see where you're, you you have your avatar there listed and there's three dots to the right of it. Uh-huh. If you click on those three dots, then you get the menu uh-huh. and down in the bottom, towards uh, the bottom middle, it'll say like community. Yeah, install dev community. See, that's kind of ridiculous. In my opinion, if they want PWA to succeed and to be a thing, it needs to be something that's like a, a banner that pops up at the top of the screen, just like it does on a phone, right? Like on a yep. phone, it'll be like, hey, do you want to install this? If you want this thing to to feel the same everywhere, it shouldn't be some hidden menu item. Yep. Well, it's still very new, though, too, right? I mean, this it's is- not that new. No, it's not that new. And the thing Years. is, if Google's, yeah, and if Google's one of the ones pushing it, you'd think they'd make it more front and center. You know what I mean? So, well, yeah. I mean, it was only like version one as of last year, right? Uh, we're going to have to look I at mean, this now. I don't know what the current version, what they're calling the current version, but. But even then, right? Like I had to go, you guys had to tell me where to find it. Install dev community. Like that's a. Uh, yeah. It's, I know, I totally agree with you. It's a pain in the butt. You can make it more apparent. Like it's, you know, you could like prompt people to do that, but nobody seems to do that. Right. So I think that's pretty interesting. So it's still really uncommon on the desktop, but I don't know. I, I just like the idea. I think it looks really nice. It looks cool. Like there's definitely electron apps that I install like Slack and I could just go to the websites, but I don't want to have a bunch of tabs open. Same with dev two. Like I use dev two enough that like, I just kind of like to have it open and it looks cool. I like the logo. Mm, I just you know, installed it. Yeah. You know, okay. So I just that. double checked. So I said reader.amazon.com, but it's just read.amazon.com. And when you go to read.amazon.com, you do not get the option I'm, or at least I'm not seeing it. I, I, I'm not seeing an option to install it. Oh, um, so, you know, about that. So a couple of others, uh, quick, wanted to mention QIT.cloud, of course. That's like um, P, uh, the uh, the app you can use for podcast discovery. Uh, Google Maps is one. You can install that on your Windows. You know, that's great. Uh, the mobile devices doesn't really make so much sense because they've got, you know, nice native apps that work too. But, and uh, PWA rocks.rocks. PWA.rocks is a great website for finding a bunch of others. 
One thing I noticed when looking at a lot of the ones that are frequently mentioned, like Twitter, Uber, Instagram, Spotify, Outlook, I've tried to install them on Windows, and it just doesn't exist. And there's no other way to like tell you. There's no like you know special PWA icon that shows up in Chrome. The only way to know if it's supported as a PWA by Google is to go to that dot 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 and look for that install. And if it's not there, it's not even apparent that it's missing. You're like, well, did I already install it? Am I looking in the right spot? Well, even so, on definitely a bad user experience. Even on iOS, though, it's really not clear if something is PWA or not. Yep. Like, it's not there yet, right? So, what I mean is, like, you could, because you remember, do you remember, like, early days of iPhones, right? Where, like, you could go to a website and there, like, Google had come out with this little thing where it would, like, scroll up a little div and it'd be like, hey, you could add this to your home screen, right? Mm-hmm. So, you can add something to your home screen in iOS. And if it is a PWA, app then great it'll it'll be a pwa app but otherwise if it's not then all it's going to do is just be a link to open up uh safari and and you won't know but like you mentioned twitter is one of your ones listed here so man i had i had the worst time because like i was like oh because i saw i heard that like oh it's supposed to be like a better experience so i was like oh let me try it so i installed i went to twitter uh because they were calling it twitter light Right, so I added Twitter to my home screen, which I already had the app, right? <laughs> and then I, it would never show me the icon for the Twitter light that I had added to the home screen. All I could ever uh, find was the other one, the app. And then if I would go to uh, like a find and try to find it, I could find it by the name that I gave it because I gave it a distinct name. But whenever you would open it, there was no difference. You could, I couldn't tell like, wait a minute, it, this looks like I just opened the other thing. And so the point well, I'm getting at is like, of, well, so that's what was happening is like, it was uh-huh. immediately redirecting everything back yep. to the main app. And so yeah, I had gotcha. to uninstall the app and then I was able to see the icon pop up and then it would let, it would intercept that Twitter traffic and I could, I could, check it out because in, cause like the one thing that gave it away was that I had multiple accounts on in the app, but not on the webpage version, the wet on the PWA version, if that makes sense. And so, you know, once I eventually figured it out, like it was, I was able to see that, Oh, okay. Now, now I can see that I'm absolutely using PWA cause it doesn't know about the other accounts. So the point I'm getting at is like, if you want to play around with some of these PWAs, it might be helpful if you make sure that you don't are, it's an app that you don't already have installed well, or it well, could get tricky. And so here's the thing. And this is what's interesting. This is actually part of the PWA application. And I don't know if this is in the show notes. If it is, I apologize for jumping way past. It depends on how you define your web application manifest. So there's actually a setting in the web manifest for preferred related applications And if you set that to true and you tell it that, hey, if somebody clicks a link, I want it to go to the native Twitter app versus just stay in the PWA app. And so what they have set on their PWA is it was saying, yes, prefer the related application, which means that anytime it hit that, it was going over there. So it depends on how they actually set up the metadata for their PWA. And, uh, you know, to make matters even more confusing... (laughs) So my specialty. Uh, so I heard about these apps, Twitter, Uber, Instagram, Spotify. Everyone said they were great experiences. So I go there and on my Windows machine and I, I can't install. 
Oh, that's weird. Let me go ahead and run Lighthouse, which is a tool we'll talk about a little bit more that uh, we'll go through and kind of grade a website. And they're all failing. All of them were failing. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> a little bit of research. It turns out that many of these sites only give you the PWA if they detect you're on mobile. And uh-huh. sometimes it's enough to go up in Chrome and kind of set, like, I'm the Pixel 2 or whatever. And, you know, if you hit that F12 and you can kind of set your resolution and pick a device, sometimes that's enough to trick it. And they'll say, oh, okay, here's the PWA. And sometimes it's not. It doesn't. My question is, like, what the heck? Isn't the whole point is it's supposed to be responsive? Why would you ever give me the non-PWA version if everything you told me about all these benefits and no downsides was true? Like, how many? why are so many companies just not doing those, you know, few 15 steps? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because the whole point of the PWA is, hey, we, we've, you know, we had this great idea of the web where everybody could come and hit something. And then we fractured all that by having iOS, Android, Windows Mobile, everything else. And PWA was sort of solving that by bringing everybody back together. So why fragment it? If the whole point is to have a singular you know, entry so that you can use the same thing on your phone and your desktop and whatever. Yeah. Why block the desktop? That doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of been my whole experience with PWAs. It's like Google kind of just stopped barely short of making a really great user experience where it's really obvious and you can see it and it's really promoted to you. They promote it to the developers like crazy, but not to the users. Mm. And the same thing from the other side. It's like you've got all these companies that are saying, yeah, we've invested this time. We've made this really great experience for users. This PWA. It's awesome. We all love it. We're 100% behind it. Oh, but we don't give it to any desktop users for no apparent to me reason. Right. Hey, so I do have a question. So you mentioned the PWA rocks, and we talked about this a little bit off air, is they don't really have much on there that feels like real meat and potatoes type stuff, right? Yep. And and one of the ones that you had mentioned at some point, looks like it's gone from the show notes now, was Flipboard. Do, uh-huh. do you know what happened there? Like, what, what what's the deal? That was one of the ones um, that when I set the resolution on that one, it, it allowed me to install it, and I was able to do it on my phone too. But it, for the Windows version, it did not... It did not show up as PWA. Uh, so and, uh, you can grade them and see why. Does Same Spotify? with Spotify. Dude, Spotify was the one that like I was like, okay, this has got to be PWA. I ran Lighthouse on it, and I think it was just missing the a little splash screen for when there's no internet. All they had to do was like, have one little thing. I'm going to run it again just to make sure. But I, they were just missing basically that one little thing, like some sort of screen that says, hey, you're offline. You can't use our app. That's all they would have to do. It doesn't have to be useful. It doesn't have to be a good experience. They just had to check the box, and they uh, didn't do it. Interesting. Some, some of them are really annoying, though, too. Like, um, you have Uber listed as, like, one of the ones. <clears throat> but if you go to Uber.com on, like, say, your your phone, right, they don't mention anything. Like, they just immediately are like, here's, you know, splash screens about, like, hey, go get the app. You can download the app from all these great places, right? And you know, you have to go, you have to like force yourself to go through the login process on Uber through their website. And then after you've got already logged in, then it'd be like, Oh, Hey, you want to add this to your home screen? And you're like, Oh, finally. And you're like, okay, yeah. fine. Add it to the home screen. And then it's like, you go, you're like, okay, let me go launch it from the home screen experience. Log in. <laughs> meanwhile uh, meanwhile like you have to do like that that uh the robot check where it's like click every square that doesn't have a bicycle you know like <laughs> like oh my god i gotta go through all the verification. so are we unselling pwa at this point like so no, far. no i hope not i was just pointing out like 
that some of them are really weird. Like some of them are like super flawless, by the way. Like some of them are amazing. Pinterest was one that you didn't list, but like that experience is awesome. And we do have a Pinterest. You should follow us at Coding Blocks. Oh my God. When's the last time we put anything on Pinterest? Uh, 2015. (laughs) So here's the thing. I think what you said that is so key to this entire conversation is it's being sold really well to developers and it is being implemented so terribly for the consumer. And that's, that's got to change, right? Like any kind of adoption has to be driven by making it as painless as possible for users of something to do it, right? Yeah. So my first brush with PWAs is basically the same. I was like, well, this is, uh, it all sounds nice on paper, but nobody's actually doing it. This is just one of those things that Google does. And then they walk away from six months later quietly. And so I was disappointed without a doubt. But then once I started looking at the actual qualifications for what it takes to make your website into a PWA, I was like, wait a second. Most of this stuff is just kind of common sense. And the things that are kind of novel or weird to me are really stupidly easy. Like I mentioned the Spotify, if they just had a little splash screen for being offline, check mark. The other thing they were missing a manifest file, which is really small and involved. It's a little JSON file that includes things like links to like app icons, stuff like that. A couple little minor settings. Like you could do that in five minutes. Why wouldn't they just do that for Windows? They do it for the phone already. Those are the only two things they're missing. Like, Mm. let me get you a pull request, you know? <laughs> I don't think Spotify is open source yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I figured it'd be fun to go through that uh, checklist right now. And it's kind of uh, it's nice because unlike Jamstack, there's not a whole lot to argue about. There's uh, there's this Lighthouse <laughs> <Wait>. tool. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Is WordPress Jamstack or not? <laughs> I know. Well, I think can... what he's – I think the question is, is WordPress a PWA, which – ah, Let's find out if Coding Blocks is. Ooh. Oh God! Ooh, yep. Wow. They used to give you a grade. I don't know if they still do in Lighthouse. We'll find out here. And uh, speaking of Lighthouse, so I wanted to mention that there's, you know, I'm kind of mentioning there's like a kind of some hard and fast rules. And the deal is, if you don't pass a test, then Google isn't going to let you install. And like Chrome is like the number one browser. You know, everyone doesn't. So kind of like if they don't say that you're a PWA, then they kind of win. It doesn't matter what uh, you know Mozilla, you know Firefox say is a PWA or not. Like, sorry, but Google wins this fight. Interesting. And uh, we're going to go over those in a minute after I get done running the audits for uh, codingblocks.net. Let's see. This is a WordPress site. Oh, we fail at least one test. We do not work if we're offline. That's that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. What? It's not looking good. Yeah, we definitely haven't passed this. It's not good that it's still running. <laughs> it's a big part of this is speed. <laughs> oh, boy. Man, what are you talking about? We're we're edge, we're edge certified around the world, right? <laughs> well, they're starting to pop up these little things. Like, did you know that having a fast site increases conversion by fifteen percent? Oh, whatever. It's still running, by the way. This is terrible. Every like, I ran through like ten of these while we were talking earlier. Well, mine finished. <laughs> I started after you. That's your, oh, how's it look? Uh, well, I mean, we didn't get a good score on it. Oh, well, of yep. course not. We've but, never tried to. I mean, we we definitely uh, failed every. Oh, it's metric. not that bad though. See, so there's there's 15 total items, uh, including some manual checks, which you know, so there's three that aren't going to count right there. But it looks like uh, the only ones that failed were all related to the manifest, and right. also the 200. So this is something we can easily fix. So here I am, like griping about Spotify <laughs> when my own house didn't clean. 
<laughs> hey, we didn't ever try and clean our house, right? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're going to dive into these. But yeah, I mentioned Lighthouse a couple times. Um, we'll have some links in the show notes. But also, if you're in Chrome, you can just hit F12. Or if you're on Mac, it's like the whatever, whatever I button. You can open up your developer tools and go to the Audits tab. <laughs> That's whatever, whatever I. I believe it's like <laughs> Command-Alt-I. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what it means? Command? Is that like the weird squiggly like hieroglyphics? No, that's uh, – <laughs> Command's like the 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 dot or the squares. Man, I don't have my Mac near me. I have no idea. It's like Are the eye of like raw or something. Uh, I gotta open up the that keyboard. Is that what you're trying to describe? I guess so. Oh uh, yeah, commands the clover looking thing. Alt okay. is the one that you were. I think that you were trying to describe, Joe. Alt's where the it had like the, the the weird. <laughs> well, I just ran lighthouse on my notes, so give me a second to catch up here. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So is, yeah, if you're is. looking for the lighthouse, which has such a distinctive name, it's in the audits tab, of course. So that they make that a little awkward on you, but it's not too bad. And uh, you can see history. You can do multiple runs. You can do different pages too, because like we mentioned, um, you know, the the experience with the uh, the flights where you may not be able to do the whole website, but maybe you can do your itinerary. So not only can you have different pages behave differently, but also uh, you can set a start URL too. So you can go to index.html and get the main web application, but in your service worker or rather you manifest you to find a start URL that's different. So maybe you want to go to the my account page or the my itinerary or something as a start URL for the app that's different from the normal index. So uh, on to these rules, and basically, just like I mentioned, if a website misses any of these rules, uh, then it's going to disqualify you for being a PWA. You're not going to be able to install it. And uh, they're broken out into three categories, oh, four categories, uh, fast, uh, so it's basically the speed and performance reliability, which deals with things like network connection, uh, whether or not it's actually installable and what that experience is like for users. And there's some optimizations, and those are the three that aren't easily testable in Lighthouse. And I'm going to refresh my notes again because after running Lighthouse, things are all running a little <laughs> crazy. I don't recommend doing that on the air. So you tried to run Lighthouse on like uh, the Google Docs? <laughs> Yeah, and now it's behaving very strangely. Oh, that's so uh, yeah, it's oh, going to be it on Google Docs. Yeah, that's yeah. not going to work too well. And it's like permanently busted now. Hey, wait, is Google Docs progressive web app ready? <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I lost my little box, so I can't make any updates. So uh, it's going to be awkward. We'll figure out something. What yeah, do you just need to like restart Chrome? Uh, yeah, let me do that. <laughs> Dude, we have a hundred percent score on SEO. Look at us; we don't suck completely. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I got a different one. How? Did, that's interesting that you got a hundred. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I like your score better. Yeah. I mean, mine was ninety-eight, so it wasn't far. But it's just curious that it was different. Period. Man, I'm like stuck in mobile mode, so I can no longer update the notes. So. Just FYI, <laughs> we have to work about this later. Sorry for the distraction. All right. And uh, I think we're already taking so long that we can try and kind of blaze through some of these. Oh, uh, under the fast, the fastness uh, and reliability, page load is fast on mobile networks. Now, I mentioned that these are hard and fast rules. So I say fast, but they actually define it. So it needs to be under 10 seconds 
until your for your time to interactive on a simulated 3G network. So under three seconds until you can actually click or move around or do something. And they under, got under the, 10 what, seconds. Under, under 10, 10 seconds. seconds. Yes. On 3G, though. Yeah, on 3G. 3G. That part's kind of key. Yes. Yeah. If you've ever seen the developer tools, you can actually set simulated network conditions. And that's the same kind of trick that they do for Lighthouse. Lighthouse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention it, but there's also a tool that you can add Lighthouse to your CI. So if you want to run this and make sure that you keep that 100%, then that's a great way to do it. Oh, yeah. And the tool is also really nice. Like in addition to all each of these things, they will give you recommended tools for like working on the problem and also reasons behind why they say this stuff is important. It's a, it's a great tool, great website. So uh, next one, uh, number two, current page responds with a 200 when offline. So this is the thing that Spotify okay. doesn't do. Yeah, just right. 200 just means okay. It doesn't have to be useful. The whole thing could just be, you know, text that says, hey, you're offline. Right. It's fine. That's fine. Just this is where you could have like a custom page instead of like the dinosaur, right? Like yep. you could have your own custom page. Just be like, "Hey, check back with with us when you're back online." Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know that's another thing for cheating for fast and reliable. Like uh, I don't know if um, I think Reddit's a site that does it. There are a couple sites that when you go to, they'll, they'll like throw up a little splash screen while they're loading. And that's kind of a way to kind of, um, I want to say cheat the system, but it's also a good user experience. If you've got a little thing that says like, it's a little red alien, like, Hey, you know, it gives you something to look at as a user. And it's much more interesting than a white s- stupid screen, just kind of loading. And you're not sure what's going on. Hmm. And, uh, Google says that's not cheating. That's good UX, uh, start URL. So this is part of the manifest file, which we'll talk about a little bit more in depth, but there's a setting in there that basically you set, that start URL, which is where the, the application is going to start with uh, when you uh, open it offline. And it just needs to give you a 200 run offline. So same thing. And, and an interesting thing on the start URL that I saw on that Pluralsight course was, you know, you can just do like slash, right? If you want the root of your website to be the start page. But a lot of times what you might do if you've got an installed PWA is you might want to make that start URL have some sort of query string in it so that you know that, hey, I'm in, I'm in mobile PWA mode or something like that, just so that you can sort of keep track of how things are starting. So it gives you a way to maybe get some telemetry and that kind of stuff. Yep. So we're one-fifth through the list, 20%. Anything there that scares you? Not yet. Yeah, it's all fine. So now uh, we want our app to be installable. That sounds kind of scary, right? My website installable. What do I have to do to do that? Well, rule number four is use HTTPS. So and you know, you, you know what I heard about that? The reason why is because the way the, the web service worker works is it's basically acting. It can proxy things for you. And the only way to guarantee that there's not some sort of man in the middle attack is if you're using signed certs. And that's why they want you to use TLS, HTTPS type stuff. Yep. And that's something Google's really pushing for anyway. There's some protocols that make HTTPS faster. It's more secure and it kind of protects your users. And so it's a good user experience anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, we've talked about in the past about how like favorable search results, how, how they're given favorable search results to HTTPS results over HTTP anyways. Uh, the browser treatments, you know, that they give if you aren't, uh, HTTPS in the URL. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I feel yeah, like that one's yeah. almost like a no brainer. Like of all of the things on the checklist, that's probably the one It's like, well, I'm already doing this anyways. 
And if you're not, right. Let's Encrypt makes it so easy. I was going to say the same thing. You don't have to pay a ton of money like you used to for SSL or TLS or HTTPS. Let's Encrypt. Go to Let's Encrypt. Is it .org? Uh, you know, I don't remember. I think it is. Let's Encrypt. Yep, .org. It's free, .org. too. .org. Yeah, it's free. Go get your – if you have a site and you haven't set this thing up to be secure, go over there, man. They have They have like little – tools to walk you through exactly how to set it up on whatever type of setup you've got going. So, so do that. And if yeah, you're using like a service for your website too, then sometimes it's just a checkbox. Like, do you want HTTPS? Yes or no. And if you have a website that isn't HTTPS, like Chrome shows a scary, not secure up in the top left, just to kind of remind you that uh, right. you've been socking on that. Yep. So yeah, use use HTTPS, and also there's um there's some things that don't work in the browser if you're not HTTPS. You mentioned the service worker, but also I think Bluetooth that uh, they're they're coming out with support soon. It's not going to work if it's not HTTPS. Uh, same with like the audio recorder and some other things that where the the browser is basically protecting you from man in the middle man in the middle attacks, just like you mentioned. And those services aren't available unless you're on HTTPS. And the .dev domain now will not route to your website unless it's HTTPS. Oh, interesting. So. Yeah. Uh, no, one no. one thing to point out is when you're in dev mode, it will allow you to use localhost. So you, you don't have to have some sort of cert on your local machine in order to do this stuff. So it's smart enough, at least the way that they've got these things set up to where you can develop on localhost. But as soon as the thing gets published somewhere, it does require a secure connection. Yep. And uh, so number five is register as a service worker that controls page and start URL. This is the the kind of the only magic I would say. This is like the the kind of the linchpin. This is the weird one, and ultimately it's just like the other things. You don't have to do a lot with it. There's a lot you can do with it, but you don't have to go crazy with it. You just have to have it be there, and you have to have a, a start URL there. But the gist of it is that a service worker is a type of web worker or a couple that's basically runs in a background thread that's separate from the website. And it's missing a few kind of normal JavaScripty things. Like it can't directly manipulate the DOM. There's a couple properties it can't access. Like it can't change the, the href on you. Uh, some things like that that are hanging off the window object. But it can pass messages to the UI thread. So it can call functions. It can do things like that. And in addition to all that, the real kind of cool part about it is that it can intercept network calls like fetch. So you add an event listener and whenever your website makes a network call, you have the option to step in and do something with that. And so a really common pattern and one that QIT makes a big use out of is actually caching the results. So if you do a search for Docker, then what we'll do is if we don't have it in cache, we'll run out and get that. And then we'll throw it into cache. And then later, if you try to call that same Docker, we have the option of saying, oh, we just searched that five minutes ago. Here are the results. We don't do that in our case. But if you're offline, we do have the option of saying, oh, here are the results from the last time you searched it. Same thing goes with files. You queue up a file in QIT, we'll run out and start downloading that MP3. Now, the next time you hit play, what we do is say, basically, play this MP3. We can give it the same URL. And now we have the options of saying, if we have this file downloaded on your phone, just go play it. If not, go out and download it. So this means you can do cool things like queue up a bunch of episodes, and we'll start downloading. If you go through a tunnel and we lose internet connection, then we lose that download. 
The next time we try to access that file, if it doesn't have it, it's going to try and run out and get it. So I've got a, there'll be a link to this in the show notes, but there was a video on YouTube called intro to service workers and caching. And, um, the, the guy who put it on, uh, well, actually it has the median name, not his, um, not his personal name. So I don't remember what his name was, but it was like the media was like a traversy media, something like that. But, uh, he has, it's a really simple explanation of the service worker. And he goes over examples of exactly like the type of examples you're describing, but like the actual code and how little code, that's the amazing part was how little code it was. It was like, you know, there was the one pattern where, you know, if you want to specifically specify like, Hey, here's the things I want to cache, right? Then you could do it that way. Or if you wanted it to be a little bit more dynamic and be like, okay, Hey, I don't want to have to name everything ahead of time, but you know, as things come, as you make requests, I'm going to start caching those in, right? Um, you know, a couple different approaches that you could take to it, but it, it was just, it was really interesting. He did a great job of explaining, of explaining it. And just the main takeaway was just how little code it took to make that thing work. I mean, by the time he was done, he might've had 50 lines of code might nice. have had 50 lines of code. Yeah. And uh, ultimately it's just a JavaScript file. It's sw.js. Needs to be like in the you know top level of your uh, site, but that's it. You can have this little thing, and 50, 50 lines of code is like a really nice use case of like fetching and caching stuff. You don't even need to do that if you don't want your app to be able to work at all offline. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to have that uh, that sw.js file there to check that box to make you a PWA. And if your site doesn't make sense without internet, that's fine. And well, I mean, just to clarify some of that wording though right like it doesn't technically have to be named swjs oh really right that that's not the important part the important part is that you're registering uh the, the agent worker it, you, you're registering the service worker on like the um oh the right and the event you're right yeah <clears throat> good call yeah there is a uh, something you need to have in the html to link that up there but it's really minor um, also, um, some other cool things, uh, there's a install and activate event, so you can do some pretty cool things with caching there. Oh, and, uh, another important thing is the push notifications. That's actually an important call out too, that you just said was that every page that, uh, that is going to be part of this, that would have the service worker that however you're including your JavaScript, this JavaScript, this SWJS or whatever you decide to name it would have to be part of that inclusion. In order to be, in order for it to be registered on every page. Yep, and I think for uh, for my case uh, for QIT, the, there's basically just the index.js file. So that's uh, we do absolutely uh, call that one out there in the in the SW. Yeah, there's a lot of tricks, right? Like if you're if you're in like a, a spa type app, then maybe you can get around it. Or if you have like a common header or footer that's on every page, anyways, then you could just add it there, and then you know you get it for free, anyways. But I'm um, I'm specifically calling that out because if you don't have that. Like if you're not in one of those situations, then you would need to add this file to each page because otherwise what could happen is your user could navigate to um, some other page. <clears throat> Let's say it was like a contact us, right? And, and that service worker JavaScript wasn't included as part of that, as part of that separate HTML. Then as far as the browser is concerned, it's a whole separate website. It's not the same thing. Right. And, uh, yeah, uh, so absolutely. And also, uh, the push notifications are interesting because, 
Uh, depending on your your device, this is where things get a little weird. But uh, basically, the service worker can be running without your apps, your website being up. So on Android, you can close the browser, and that service worker is still browsing is still up and available, and it's still like polling your server for messages. So whenever you do fire it up, it might say, "Hey, you've got three new you know likes or mentions or something on on Dev two. And uh, it's supposed to be able to get that stuff offline. And even if that service worker is not running, if you know the the device kills it for some reason, which can very easily happen on something like Android, uh, kill stuff all the time. And whenever it fires up, it's able to go out and fetch that then. And uh, if it's the same with it being offline, like if it can't get those notifications when it's offline, it won't get those notifications. But the next time it does come online, it's automatically going to go out and check that sort of thing. So you can enable push notifications on an application, which is really nice. So you can get those little notifications in your notification center on your phone, even when the app's not working. So you can say like, hey, so-and-so liked your post, even when I don't have that website up, which is really nifty. Well, more specifically though, like, because this was one thing that wasn't clear to me. Like, you don't have to have Chrome open. Right. Right. But yet you could still get that notification to yep, try so to, like... So it's registered with whatever, like, Android um, and, like, Windows has their notification center. Same deal. So you install this. So it's, like, Dev2. Like, I can uh, I can show notifications on Windows for Dev2 even without Dev2 being open. So it just behaves kind of like a normal app that we're used to. Like, where, I'm, you know, my Twitter icon might show however many, you know... Um, tweets I've missed or whatever. And I, I, I imagine turn that stuff off. <laughs> like, like it's easy to to imagine how this could work on Android, right? Because Google's so heavily invested in Chrome, right? Um, and I would imagine that it would be the same way in uh, like a Chromebook, right? But uh, what about on iOS though? Like, it's not it's everywhere yet, right? So, so I have to take a look. It, that was it, the one thing I that like, I couldn't it, find. Like, I didn't, I didn't see was if it was. Uh, so it is. Th- here's the thing that's kind of weird. So in that in that PWA fundamentals course on Pluralsight, the guy goes over it. The weird part is is Apple is sort of diverted a little bit from the standard. So that manifest file and all that, like they have their own attributes that they put on things. So like the the splash image, the background colors, that kind of stuff. So they have their own settings. Does it? Do they all start with like n like you know n s u r l or it's not NS. There's no namespace thing, but they definitely do have like Apple dash something dash something. So th- they've definitely put their own twist on it, which, which kind of stinks because, you know, that means that people, it's almost like CSS in the browser days where you had to have all kinds of extra code for IE and then extra code for Mozilla and extra. It's similar to that, right? Except it's not quite as haywire yet. Yeah. Yet. Well, some Objective C developers, I'm sure, got my my joke. <laughs> so I, yeah, I do remember seeing that in code, even though I've never written any uh, Objective C stuff. I do remember seeing NS on everything, which was really irritating. But hey, there was there was a note in here for non-blocking web sockets. Data storage is fair game, though. What what are we talking about there? Uh, so the deal with that is basically you can't do like. Um so you intercept the request in, in the background uh, in the service thread. What, what you can't do is like a loading kind of um, message. You can't do any sort of like kind of locking the UI from the service ah. worker. Now you can send okay. a message that says like, "Hey, I'm doing something," and you know it'd be up to somebody on the front end to to receive that and do something with it. So you can kind of get around it, but it just thought it was kind of interesting that there's no interaction from the background thread that you can directly do to affect the user experience, other than saying like. You know, trigger this message. Well, this goes back to the the first one of the earlier points that you made, though, is that like the service worker can't 
uh, manipulate the DOM. Right. Right. But we are saying, though, that it does have access to local storage. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and that's right. how you can cache and do stuff like that. So. Okay. Yep, that's really nice. And I just found a, what, uh, a nice website, um, what web can do today, where you look up push notifications. Unfortunately, I can't add to the notes. But uh, it does mention that uh, Safari does have their own non-standard way of kind of adding push notifications. And just like you said, it's kind of weird. So I'm not qualified to interpret these paragraphs uh, for what should be a yes or no question. (laughs) But uh, you can do some reading up on that and figure out what's going on there. Is it what web can do dot today? Yep. Strange. There's another link also I have in the resources. Uh, I thought I had in the resources. I do with it. Oh, can I use dot com? Oh, yeah. There's another one that will tell you stuff about it as well. And apparently, I don't uh, have, have they updated it. Can I? Because we've referenced that as a uh, tip of the week in the before in the past. Have they updated yep. it for PWA? I didn't even check. Yes, there is the manifest. Basically, if you type in PWA at the top, it'll come up a web app manifest, and then it shows you the supported browsers. And of course, nice. Chrome is green. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> everywhere and everything else is greenish well that's weird though because <laughs> right. i definitely saw another one where it wasn't quite that let me see oh but it might have been just specific to service workers yeah okay so if you if you were to type if you were to look for service workers uh, yeah. then it's much more opened up yeah service workers seem to be supported almost everywhere yeah which is Really cool. But yeah, if you if you type in PWA, it's smart enough to look for a web app manifest and you'll see that it's supported ish. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, so uh so moving on. So we mentioned that we're we're in the section talking about making your website installable, which sounds intimidating, but we already mentioned the first two. Use HTTPS and you need to have a service worker hooked up, which can be a really lightweight JavaScript file, or you can do some fancy stuff with it. The final qualification that determines whether or not your website is installable is a manifest.json file. If I go look at one of these, like for say for dev.2 or something, I just open the network tab and search for a file named manifest and you can see everything that's in there. And it's basically a couple icons. It's a start file and it's some theme colors. And that's about it. There's not really a whole lot to it. And uh, so I'm looking at it for now for dev community. Like they've got black for the theme color, black for the background color. They've got a description, display mode, homepage URL, just kind of real basic stuff. Uh, you know, icons with links to icons on, on disk and where you can get uh, various sizes. So like if Apple needs this size or Android needs 512 by 512, whatever, it's got definitions for that. Yep. And that's about it. And that's another one of those things. It's like 20 lines. It's just a JSON file. It's a static file that you can throw in, in your root and check that box. So why not? I mean, there are additional pieces to it that not everybody probably does. Like I mentioned the related apps thing earlier. Yep. Like whether or not things should get picked up by an installed native app and, and all that. And we'll have a link to the developer.mozilla.org. If you've never been there, you're probably not a developer. But they have it on that site where you're not a web developer, but they have the entire listing up there as well, which is probably easier to read than the W3C's version of it. Yeah. And so we've just gone through six of the 15 qualifications and nothing really scary there. There's some things you have to read up on, like the service workers and the manifest file, but they're both really minor and they're both the kind of things that you can have totally done in an hour 
you know, there's some stuff in there about the uh, the fastness and reliability, depending on whatever framework or whatever thing you've got going on. That may be tough. And maybe HTTPS, if there's some good reason why you can't do that, I, I can't imagine. But, I mean, for the most part, we've gone through almost half the list, and everything's pretty easy. We haven't. We certainly haven't lost anything. No, not not at all. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, so you can get end to end visibility quickly. Visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. Try it yourself today by starting a free 14-day trial and also receive a free Datadog t-shirt when you create your first dashboard. Head on over to datadog.com slash codingblocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, visit datadog.com slash codingblocks to sign up today. All right, it's that time of the show where we ask you again, please if you if you like hearing this stuff and you enjoy the podcast and you know, you, you want to know how you can give back to us, you know, take the time to go up and leave us a review. We truly and I mean truly appreciate those. Uh, even when we were at Orlando Code Camp, we had people come up and and talk to Mike and say, you know, man, you guys have helped me through my career. You've helped me get through some rough spots or whatever. Like we really love hearing that stuff. It, it makes us smile and, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. So if you do get a chance, go up to codingblocks.net slash review and we have links over to Stitcher and, and iTunes and feel free to drop us some, some words over there. So much appreciated. And as Mike always says, you know, also tell a friend, right? Like if, if there's somebody like we were sort of shocked by the number of people that just don't even know about podcasts, right? Like it's just not something that they do. Um, you know, tell a friend and, and hook them up, show them how to do it, you know, and you know, give the gift. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says, all right. So <clears throat> back in episode one hundy. Uh, we asked, "What interests you the most?" So your choices were learning the low-level nuts and bolts of how computers and operating systems work, the lowest possible level. Like, can I build my own computer or my own operating system? Right, or the highest possible level subjects like formal algorithms, machine learning and artificial intelligence, or those other options are nice, but I enjoy prototyping and experimenting with all of the things broadening my horizon. All right. So let's go, Joe, you go first. What say you? Uh, I'm just going to say how I feel about it. I'm going to say I enjoy experimenting and prototyping and I'm going to say uh, 40%. Okay, 40%. Okay, I'm going with the same at 41. Oh. Thanks, Bob. Dang it. <laughs> you know, and if you recall, it was that same episode, episode 100, where I commented that we've never, ever had, an, had anyone do that until <laughs> it happened in episode 100. And now here yeah. we are. Again, it happens and coincidentally, episode 100 is being referenced. 
Well, John was the trendsetter in that, right? Like right. he was the one that kept doing it. So he broke I, he uh, broke the norm. Unfortunately, yep. this is the one that I think all us ADD developers are going to pick, and and it's got to be north of forty percent somewhere. Well, I will put it to you like this: you aren't wrong. Sweet. <laughs> is it like eighty <laughs> percent? I would imagine it's high. It was sixty eight percent of the vote. Wow, was. You know, yeah, those other options are great, but I enjoy prototyping and experimenting. And, and exact, exactly for the reasons you just said, Alan, is what I would imagine would be the reasons why was that, you know, uh, we, we have ADD. We want to like bounce around and try new things all the time, right? Like, you're like, oh, there's a new version of Angular. Let me uh, go try that out. Oh, Progressive Web Apps. Let me go try that out. Oh, Elasticsearch. Oh, let me go try that. Oh, Kafka. Oh, let me go try that out. Oh, wait, yeah, there's exactly. OAuth. Let me go try that out. <laughs> Angular 35 just dropped. Right. And 36, as we said that. So, yep. <laughs> And yeah. there's things I like about the other two. It's just uh, to really get in there. Like, say you wanted to create your own compiler, your own operating system from scratch. It's like that's years of dedication. And, uh, right. yeah, that's just not – that's just way too much die for me. I want to do a lot of other things too. And so there's competition for my attention. Yeah. I am curious, though. The second highest one, and I'd imagine by a landslide, was the highest possible level, right? It was probably 20%. Okay, so it was, yeah. You know, so the highest possible level, i.e., subjects like formal algorithms, machine learning, artificial intelligence, was number two, but yeah. it was not a landslide. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. they were they were close. It was uh, seventeen and fourteen percent. Okay, so they were pretty tight. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was actually surprised with that. Yeah. But, so, but that is interesting. We're all the same. Like, we all just want to know it all. <laughs> but not deeply. We just want to know it all. <laughs> well, I mean, but no, not I was going to say, like, we're, I'm surprised, like, because, you know, there's some of our listeners that are just like, hey, I want to be able to write my own operating system. Right? right. That, that's 32, that's one in three. So statistically, one of us should have uh, picked up. Vlad, I write the web server. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Combined, maybe. I mean, yeah. two-thirds of it was the... uh uh broadening your horizons right yeah yeah so yeah cool but yeah all right so for today's survey we ask hey what's your favorite time to listen to podcasts and your choices are during my commute what else am i supposed to pay attention to or while i work i need an escape or while i exercise Nothing better than staying physically and mentally fit. Or every waking moment. Joe, looking at you. On speed point five. <laughs> or yes. I wish my schedule was that routine. I'm like, uh, well, whatever. What I like to do is like, hey, I'm going to take the trash out. My wife says, okay. And then I start going upstairs. What, what are you doing? I thought you were taking the trash. I'm like, getting my headphones. <laughs> uh, is the driveway that long? <laughs> yeah. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Stellar Res, the AI-powered talent agent for top tech talent. Hate your job or just kind of meh about it? Well, listen, you're not a cog in a wheel. Stellar Res will help you find opportunities that are actually a great mutual fit. 
Stella Res knows that a job is more than just how it sounds in a job description, so they built their AI-powered talent agent to help you find your ideal job. Stella Res does all the work and screening for you, scouting the best companies and roles, and introducing you to opportunities outside your network that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Combining deep AI matching with human support, StellarRes pairs things down to a maximum of five opportunities that tightly match your goals, like compensation, work-life balance, working on products you're passionate about, and team chemistry. Then, they facilitate warm introductions, and there's never any pressure, just opportunities to explore what's out there. To get started and find the job that's just right for you, visit StellarRes.ai slash codingblocks. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R-E-S dot A-I slash coding blocks. Back to things. We're uh, now into the PWA optimized section, which contains uh, some rules that basically uh, deal with a better user experience. And the first one is redirecting HTTP traffic to HTTPS. This might be rough for some people who, for whatever legacy reasons, might need to have an HTTP uh, side around, but uh, you should be doing this anyway. I think this is one of the things that Google penalizes for you for anyway, but I'm not totally sure about that. But I think just like we mentioned, like you should be looking at going to HTTPS as soon as possible for a lot of different reasons. This one seems contradictory to uh, point number four. Like point number four is you have to use HTTPS. Yep, so how right. can you even say in point seven, like, Hey, you got to redirect all your HTTP to HTTPS because it's like, oh, wait a minute, I I can only have HTTPS. So right. why are we even why are we talking about this still? Yeah, you well, can check say two boxes only. with one. Yeah, you can check two boxes with one. That's it. Yeah, and they didn't say only before. So like theoretically, you could still have uh, some people used to do for a long time HTTP and HTTPS. And sometimes I remember like people would only redirect the HTTPS version if it was like a login page, but you could stay there or whatever if you wanted. But I think it, that's less common now. But your service worker isn't going to register itself right. under HTTP. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so what's the what's the idea here that you would, could go to like index.html as HTTP, but inside of index.html it has a a load a script tag that is HTTPS to service worker? Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like you can kind of imagine a case where it's like if you're on HTTP, it doesn't work as a, as a PWA, but if you get HTTPS, it does. And because of that, service worker would be a, a great reason. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but they like go ahead and just make it a firm rule. Like if you have HTTP available at all, unsecured, we're just not going to allow you to call this a PWA. Well, no I was describing like a, a stranger scenario where you were like um, trying to do a mixed world. Remember, right? Yeah, yeah. When you used to get the alert pop-ups back in the day. Oh yeah, mixed content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I find that one odd too. All right, but we checked two boxes with one. That's good. Yeah. So, yeah, you're pretty much already there with number four. Uh, the next one is configure for a custom splash screen. This is part of that manifest file. You know, I mentioned that, like, the dev two is like the theme color of black and the whatever color, the, the text color is black and they have a white icon is the deal there. And so that's a splash screen. So when you're loading that up for that kind of half second or whatever it takes to actually get, you know, check the network, do all its normal stuff, staying of the web application, you just have a nice, cool user experience where it's like, oh, artsy. And why not? You know, you basically get it for free. All you need is an icon and, a, you know, set a couple colors in the manifest file. And you should probably have that stuff anyway. Uh, the next thing, also part of the manifest, manifest file, and it's the thing I mentioned. Uh, you set the address bar theme color. Dev.2 does it um, black. I think um, QIT does it green. 
just whatever, something that looks nice. And these are one-liners in the manifest file, which we already discovered. So, so far, everything, these three items, seven, eight, nine, are all basically things we kind of handled in other steps, but they're almost just kind of a, a optimization on those steps. Yep. Uh, number 10, content is, is sized correctly for the viewport. This is something they actually test for. They have a concrete test for, but it's, it's simple. Basically, if your window.innerwidth is equal to your window.outerwidth, which means that you don't have a horizontal scroll bar, you're good. So if you've got a responsive website, then you've already got this handled. If you don't have a responsive website, this is probably the first one that we've really hit on that's like, this might take a lot of work for you if you've got a big old site. Yeah, a lot of work potentially. Yep, yep so the first one. Uh, and uh, now the next one is has a meta name equals viewport tag with uh, with their initial scale. This is another one that's kind of tied to setting that uh, device with and just making sure that you've got a responsive website. So number 10 and 11, this is the first trouble we've run into. This is like the first thing that can't easily be solved unless you've got some sort of crazy situation on your hands. But again, you know this what? felt like it was like duplication in their rules here. Like these really feel like yep. they're the same thing. Well, as you, yeah, you have to be responsive. I mean, I kind of wanted to point out like – I don't know that we've ever really talked about these kind of frameworks at all in the past, but if you've never looked into bootstrap, that's probably the de facto standard for like a responsive, you know, standard layout that was created by Twitter. There's also um, material is now a big theme that Google's pushed. And there's one more uh, bootstrap versus foundation. foundation is the other one I was thinking of. So like there's three big ones out there that, you know, it might be worth starting with those things just so you get the responsive things out of, out of the gate. Right. There's also, um, well, uh, if you it? can Something. say what, like if you can, if you can, if you're starting Greenfield for sure. Right. Um, now there are people that argue against that stuff too, because they're like, well, bootstrap adds too much bloat or, you know, whatever, like there's, there's all kinds of arguments that people come up with for all those or, things. So maybe, or, you know, I've heard creative types that don't like it too, because it, they're like, well, it all looks the same. And like every bootstrap site looks the same and they might want to have like, you know, its own, its own flair. But you know what? There are, see, and that one's always funny to me too, because you can go to, uh, themes.getbootstrap.com and there are people that have created things that look nothing like bootstrap it's just some creative types got around there and they use the CSS to theme it. So, I mean, I know I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here, but I guess what I'm saying is there are things out there to make this a lot easier on you. If you're trying to do that, right. I think one of them is a CSS grid is like the responsive grid type thing. So, you know, if, if you're not sure and you're actually interested in getting your things sizing for, you know, proper viewports or displays, just look up responsive layouts and you'll be treated with 5 billion results of things that you can go try and do. And just for fun, I ran um, create react app and ran it through uh, lighthouse to see how it did. Sorry, I've got to, <laughs> do you hear that? Yeah, I did. I don't... <laughs> yeah. One of my dogs likes to scratch on the carpet before he lays down. I usually yell at him and stop him, but I'm not going to because we're podcasting. <laughs> but he is really going to town before he lays down outside of my door. I like the look you gave him. Like you were trying to look through the door. That was pretty awesome. I was like, oh, I know you're not doing that. <laughs> we have this discussion every night. So 
Just in case if someone else like makes this mistake, because you mentioned like themes.bootstrap.com. Themes.getbootstrap.com. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, themes.getbootstrap.com. Otherwise, you end up on the dark web? Uh, No, I mean, it wasn't anything bad, but I was like, wait a minute. Like, what? (laughs) I know I'm I'm looking for bootstrap. Like, oh, wait, that's what it is. That's hilarious. So uh, just for fun, I ran uh, create React app. It's a basic kind of React app and ran it through. And it's missing a couple things like HTTPS and stuff like that. Um, it's missing a manif- uh It had a problem fetching the uh, start URL. A couple little things, but um, actually it uh, looks like it's about uh, halfway through. You got green checkboxes just out of the gate. And it does go ahead and set that viewport, uh, those, those guys for you, the ones that we just mentioned. So that's pretty nice. It also takes care of the next bullet point, which is uh, content. Uh, sorry, contains some content when JavaScript is not available. So all you need is just like a little no script tag that says like, hey, you need JavaScript. You know, ideally it could be even better. Maybe you can make some static content that is actually useful. But uh, in order to check the box, all you need to have is something, even if it's just a link that says why you need JavaScript. So easy peasy. Nice. And that, that was it. So we just hit all the 12 ones that can actually be, uh, that, that was it for all the ones that you can test for. Those are all the ones that have de facto, like, yes, you are a PWA or not. Now, there are three more rules that there are not easy tests for. <laughs> for and, any uh, site on the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, because and they're, they're pretty big. But um, they're, there's just some best practices, so we'll hit them real fast. Uh, site works cross-browser. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, we're counting Mosaic, you know, like there's a there's a ton of browsers out there. Opera, um, Netscape, right? Like to say that your site works completely cross-browser, you know, there's browsers that haven't been invented yet. So that's kind of a silly thing to say. So it's not something they can test for. But we can, you know, say that like this is something you should strive to meet. Okay, now hold on. Because one of the browsers that you just named was Netscape. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't you couldn't get anything to run on it now? Is yeah. that even still a thing? Like now, I'm kind of curious. I want to Google, like, see, like I would almost be afraid if I could download it, like what it might be. No, but a good rule of thumb though would be what Firefox, Chrome, and Safari, right? Like, I mean, you want to hit those three for sure. Wow. Even though I don't know that Safari is all that massive. You, you left out Edge. Well, you you know the funny part about that is you have seen the news, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Microsoft is going Chromium-based for their next browser. Right. So they're bouncing all over the place. So Chromium slash Chrome, you should be good-ish there. Yep. Ish. By the way, you can download uh, Netscape Navigator allegedly. I wonder if anyone does that uh, because I'm sure it's just chock full of viruses. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't That's why I was saying like I would be scared to even actually like download it. Oh, man. As a side tangent, speaking of the viruses, I read an article the other day. So – Game of Thrones is getting ready to come back out with its final season, right? They said, this article said that 20% of the viruses that are out there in like uh, stolen video content are in Game of Thrones episodes. And it's not, and it's not the most uh, pirated show out there, but it is the most virus laden one. (laughs) Oh man. What was the most? Cause I kind of have like my hopes of what the most pirated one would be what was the most pirated? i don't know i don't i don't know if it went into that but it, it definitely did say hey beware if you're out there trying to pirate some uh, game of thrones just beware 
because you might be getting more than what you bargained for. O- only because it would seem to be so fitting to the show. I was kind of hoping that the most pirated would be Mr. Robot. Ooh, yeah, that would have been good. Silicon Valley, man. <laughs> Dude, I love that, that shit. That show's the best. It is. All right, sorry. <laughs> so that was 13. Back on track. No, number 14 is page transitions don't feel like they block. And that's that word feel that's really important there. That's something if you ever click the link and like things go white or maybe you click a link and actually white would be better. You click a link and you're like, wait, did I click that or did I miss? You go to click it again and it loads or whatever. You misclick something. And so um, they're basically advice. They've got a, a nice big paragraph here on the kind of their advice, but basically show a loading. If you can transition to the next page, maybe show what they call a skeleton screen, which is kind of like throw some color up there, you know, throw some, some like kind of stretched out, blurred, small images, um, get things moving so the user at least feels like they're going somewhere so they don't have that kind of moment of, you know, worrying whether or not they click the link. Uh, I so promise you. you elevate. What, what were you going to say? say again? What were you going to say? I was going to say, like, I promise you, if you want to see the best example of this so that, that the transitions don't feel like they block on the network, Pinterest, man, I mean, they nailed it. Like, you, you could scroll... And scroll forever, and it's just like the images just load up, and as soon as you're like, oh, let me click that image, it just, boom, full screen, you're already there with all the other suggestions. You're like, how did it do it so fast? Yeah, I've heard them. Um, I know uh, the guys on Syntax were talking about PWAs, uh, I don't know, back in November or something, and what they would talk about doing is like if you click on a thumbnail or something, like rather than going and fetching the the, the new big image version of that, like go ahead and just take the thumbnail that you've already got and use that and maybe blur it and stretch it. And so it kind of takes up the, the width that the larger image is going to occupy once it gets loaded. But this is like a nice kind of cheap and cool looking way of, you know, using what you've already got in order to have an immediate transition. Yeah, but they're still that getting all sense. the thumbnails for the images that would show up on that page, but below though. That's my point. Yep. And uh, sometimes we'll even do things like... um like they'll uh, start preloading. So if you like hover near an image, it might start going and grabbing the next one. Like, I'm not sure what, um, what they're doing here, but those are the kind of techniques that uh, a lot of websites are doing. I can't use Pinterest cause I go there and it like gives me like 50 prompts to log in or create an account or, ugh. and I like, you know, I use Chrome to delete all of those of course, but now I can't actually get to the pictures. Dang it. Well, I'm telling you like it, if you're listening, that's a, a stellar example of, of point 14. Yeah, they've done a nice job. Yeah. And also, if you go to Pinterest, you should follow me because I've got a nice Transformers board. <laughs> uh, As, one does. Guys. As one does. <laughs> so, All right. So the final, number 15, each page has its own URL. You can imagine why this is kind of hard for them to test because how do you really <laughs> say what's a page and what's not a page, especially if you're in a, like a JavaScript heavy app. But the idea there is that you're able to link and share. And that's something we don't really touch on too much. When we talked about like native apps It's like, if I've got like the Starbucks app or something and I like, I want to send you my favorite drink or, you know, the store location I'm at, that can be pretty awkward, especially if you don't have the Starbucks <laughs> app on your phone. So it's up to those app developers just to kind of um, make that situation work and make that easy. But if you've just got a web page, then I should be able to use uh, copy whatever's in that URL and send it to you. And assuming there's no like you know user restrictions or anything, like you should be able to get that in the browser of your choice. You shouldn't have to have the app installed. And same thing here. So if each page has a URL, 
I should be able to send you a link, should be able to copy it in any number of ways and send it to you. And you should see the same thing that I'm seeing, or else you should see something that lets you know why it's different. So now it's almost like it, cause that one kind of felt jam stacky to me. Yeah. That's the most ambiguous one is what's a page. Well, only because like, I remember when we were talking about Jamstack, right? Like you could, you could go to a page, every page was already like pre-rendered, right? But then, uh, like if whatever your entry point was, you know, like only the content would change mm-hmm. was actually being fetched. So, I mean, I know that these aren't the same topics, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. In that case, yeah, it's, it's confusing. And the, the JavaScript apps have uh, kind of made it more confusing, although better experiences. Cause now you've got these things where you just kind of throw, throw whatever, you know, the URL you want to show up in the router or in the, in the address bar. And then the router is in, in charge of like showing and grabbing whatever it needs to do to make that like look right to a person. But a lot of times, like you mentioned with the Jamstack thing, you're just updating a title and some text blocks and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, to the user, it feels like a different page, but really it's the same files. It just kind of replace some of the data in the middle. Well, I would imagine the query string will change on it, and that might be good enough, right? Yep. If, if As long as it's a unique overall URL, it should be fine, I would think. Yeah. But so but I have no the, experience. <laughs> no. Oh, you have lots of experience. <laughs> so <laughs> those, are the, this. <laughs> those are the three kind of manual checks that they recommend. Should be cross-browser. The page transitions should feel fast, and every page should have its own URL. So good guidelines. So why PWAs? Yep. Final stretch here. Uh, So, you know, we mentioned PWAs off here a couple of benefits over like normal websites, like showing up in app stores or being installable, push notifications. And additionally, you know, some of the the best practices are things you should be kind of doing anyway. So the question is then if you've got a website, if you've got a web application right now, why wouldn't you go the extra mile to make it a PWA. Well, really, is it a mile though? It's more like, why wouldn't you go the extra distance to check your mailbox? Like it's that, it's like it's that close. It's really not a mile. Yeah. You say that, but I haven't gotten my mail in like at least two days. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> wow. There's nothing that's in there. Fine. <laughs> so it's interesting. I mean, I, I think the answer would be like, you know, you said we have a WordPress site. Thanks for publicly saying that. So that everybody <laughs> will attack us now. Attack, but, attack. But, oh, I mean, it does make it to where if you're using some sort of third-party system, it might be a little bit more difficult, right? Like, I, I, I actually, I think we could do it pretty easily. But if you don't completely control the source code, that does add an interesting challenge, right? Yeah, and there's definitely uh, applications. Like, if you're going through, uh, I don't know, some sort of service or whatever, or maybe some sort of older framework that doesn't support it. And that kind of things. But when you look at those like four high level kind of categories that we talked about, like should your site be fast and reliable? Well, yeah. Should it be right. installable? Well, why not? Because it really is just a, a couple of small, you know, we need manifest, we need this uh, service worker, we need HTTPS. So, it's just so easy. And then finally, uh, PWA optimized, same kind of deal. It's just so easy that it's not hard to do that unless, you know, aside from making your site responsive. So That's specific. The only thing I come up with. So specific to your point about uh, WordPress, though, I mean, like there are dozens of plugins like so oh, WordPress itself, no like you can have a WordPress app or a site and make it a PWA. Oh, you can have a WordPress site, and make it anything like yeah. somebody's written a plugin to make WordPress do. Well, anything. I mean, let, let's think about it, though, like even if you because you might like maybe you're listening and you're like, well, I really don't want, I don't feel comfortable installing a plugin for that. Right. I mean, how little we talked about 
Like really the code that you have to write that we talked about was the, uh, the service worker, right? Mm-hmm. That might be the only new code that you might not already have. Cause hopefully you're already responsive. So like that, that's a lot of that manifest. I mean, do we call JSON? Do we call that writing code? I mean, maybe I don't yeah, know that sets icons in a couple colors. Yeah. I mean, like there's not really that much involved in it. So like all it would take is write that service worker and make sure that that little bit of code is included on every page. So, yeah, I mean, WordPress is probably a bad example because they really do make it easy to do stuff. Like if you have a template, Usually there's like a pluggable head section at the top where you can put your script tags for referencing your service worker and all that kind of stuff. And and your, uh, I think there's the viewport meta information. So yeah, you should be able to turn your entire site into a PWA without a plugin to Mike's point. Right. So that should work, but you know, maybe, maybe you're using some other software to generate your website and it's just not going to be as easy. Who knows? But yeah, I, I, I think to Joe's point is, all these are like sort of really good practices anyways, right? Even if your goal wasn't to go and become an installable app, like it kind of makes sense to have a 200 if you're, well, the 200 response doesn't make any sense if it's not installed because people wouldn't even be able to hit your site, right? But but like the HTTPS and all those other things, like that's just, that's good stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. So... You know, like one of the questions that I had, like as I as I was preparing for this episode and everything, like one of the thoughts that was going through my mind was like, how does this impact Apple and the App Store, right? Because they've made so much money in like how long? What iPhone came out in two thousand seven? When did the App Store come out? Like you know, a year or two later. So over a decade now, they've just been like making a killing on the App Store because they're getting like thirty percent. Of everything, everything, right? Of every, of every, you know, if you, if, if the app has, uh, isn't free <clears throat> or right? subscriptions within the apps. Yeah. So now you have like Microsoft, right? Who's just adding, adding these PWA apps to their app store and there's no charge there. And, and if like, let's, let's live in a world, let's pretend we live in a world where PWAs became the norm, right? Like this was the way things were done, right? You know, I guess the app store becomes, it goes away. Like, you know, they can't, they can't charge you for a link. Right. And then another random thought along that time before I open it up, but like another random thought along that same lines too, is if you recall, like, is this maybe what Steve jobs originally wanted when the iPhone was introduced? Because if you remember when iPhone was originally released, there wasn't an API, there wasn't an app store, right? Like, so since the beginning of iPhone, it had the capability of like Safari had the capability of when you would go to a web page, it would be like, add this to the home screen because that was the original intent was that everything would just be web-based. It wasn't app-based. Right. Yep. Oh, I did want to mention too, you can actually, ins- you can um, submit PWAs to the, uh, the Apple app store. You have to use Xcode and there's actually a really great site, uh, pwabuilder.com, which will take your URL and we'll bundle it up for you for Windows, uh, the Apple App Store, uh, the Android, and also just like the the Mac, whatever, iOS, or whatever. You're still one of my tips of the week. I'm kind of upset about that. Oh, dang. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but it still does so, require Xcode, but it, it, is, it, is, it is available, and you could theoretically sell it, I suppose. Yeah. Really? Like, okay, that's weird. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. 
Yeah, yeah but it's still it's uh, Apple has a vested interest in keeping you in their app store, right? And you know they don't really want you looking outside, which is probably some of the reason behind them kind of dragging their feet on some of the features that would make it easier to use. I was going to say the same exact thing. I think that's why they have sort of deviated from the norm on these things. You know, I, I mean, again, I think going back to the whole thing and until they make it easier for the consumer to actually do this stuff, like it's not going to be as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Remember when um, like kind of app stores were kind of new and novel and you would like lay down in bed or whatever and be like, I'm just going to look for a game to buy or a productivity app. Like, let me see what's in the store. What's top selling? I used to do that a lot, but now not at all, especially like YouTube videos and stuff that are like cramming like productivity apps and games down my throat. It's like, I don't want to see any more mobile games. Please stop. Yeah. 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 So it'd be interesting to see like in five years, maybe less, maybe more like where, where is like something like that? The Apple app store, right? Like did PWAs take over the world and you know, just totally reinvent what we think of a, as an app store. Well, tell me this. I'm curious what you guys' take on this. This whole episode has been about PWAs and why you might take your website and turn it into one, right? Because you sort of get this cool feature of an installable app just by meeting some of these checkboxes, right? Would you, like if you're going to set out to have some sort of cross-platform thing, would you go PWA first or would you look at something like Xamarin? Would you look at something like Flutter? Would you look at something like .NET Core? Like, what would be your what 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 would be your uh, motivation? Your gut on where you would start? I guess is is my question. Yeah. So somebody said tomorrow, like, "Hey, uh, here's an app idea. Go do it." What would kind of your default decisions be for that? Right. Right. Like, are you going to be like, I want PWA or are you going to be like, yo, I want to do this in, you know, Xamarin or whatever. Like, why? Why would you choose one over the other? So who wants to go first? I know my answer. I know my answer. Five years ago, it would have been 10 years ago, it would have been Confusion. Five years ago, it would have been ASP.NET. Now it would be absolutely uh, Jamstack PWA. No doubt, I would absolutely go for the CDN hosting, uh, build whatever I can at uh, at build time, do all, all the rendering up front that I can in order to get that stuff out onto static uh, content delivery networks. And also, that ties in really great with PWAs because I can install all that static content and it just works great. I can make all that stuff available for you in you know, not a whole lot of space since we're talking about a lot of text generally. So I think those technologies really jive together well. And I think that's the default choice for me, you know, by a long shot. Like you have to really convince me to do a, a native app over a website now. And if I'm doing a website, I might as well shoot for static. Interesting. Okay. What about you, Outlaw? Yeah, I was going to say like, you know, assuming depending on the type of app, then I, I'm going to side with Joe and go the the PWA route. Cause why wouldn't you, right? Like create the website and, you know, also add in these few requirements to make it PWA and be done with it. And now you have the best of all worlds on every platform. If I was given requirements that specifically required, you know, like on iOS, if it required metal in order for it to work, right. Then, okay. Then at that point, the decision was already made. So it's not even up to me. Right. So maybe in like extreme, like if you were trying to do some kind of 
game that super duper required some of those capabilities, then I guess machine learning. Well, but you could do uh tensor JS tensorflow JS. So, but it's going to be slower, right? It, it will be slower because it's interpreted. Uh, I mean, why would you even try to do like, what are we talking about in that regard? So, because if you're talking about like trying know. to train a model on uh, a phone, you're pretty right. much already like right. limiting your expectations anyways. I mean, I'm not yeah. talking about capabilities, but I'm just saying like you're limiting your, your expectations anyways. But I mean, that is an example of where, uh, you know, there's, you know, take the Google approach versus Apple approach, right? Like TensorFlow, there is a JavaScript version of it. And Apple does have, uh, you know, uh, machine learning capabil- capabilities in with uh, iOS. So, yep. you know, yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll give you my take. And this is, so this goes back to the survey. Like I'm probably going to pick something I haven't done <laughs> just so I can learn something new. Right. Um, but in a more serious fashion, I half wonder if none of this is even going to be a thing with WebAssembly getting bigger. Good, um, good point. Yeah, and and complete honesty, if you can create something that can get, and this is where I think .NET is really freaking interesting nowadays. Is you write something in .NET Core that can compile down to Mono, which is written on C then that can be turned into WebAssembly, and now you're running bare metal anyways. And, you know, the the Microsoft.NET platform is really making some interesting decisions with, with how they're approaching things like with Blazor and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? So, so maybe PWA is a, uh, a day late, dollar short. Is what you're getting or, at? Like- or maybe it ties in with some of this stuff. I don't know, but... It, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because things are changing so fast right now, and, and there's so many technologies just kind of being flopped down all at the same time that it's hard for me to say. But I would think that I would probably at least look at what can target WebAssembly because if it can run that, then, I mean, technically it could be a PWA, it could be a website, it could be whatever you want. I mean, heck, they got full-blown video games working on it, right? Like, uh, I think Tank's runs in WebAssembly. <laughs> so, but I mean, let, let's be clear though. I mean, just because we're talking about PWA, nothing says that you couldn't have a WebAssembly app that was also a PWA. PWA. Absolutely. And right. it would be running closer to bare metal. Right. But so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's the thing is I, I want to say that Xamarin is really interesting to me, but you know, it, I, I've looked at React Native in the past, and it looked like a pain. Flutter, Flutter looks like it's iOS and Android only, so it's not truly cross-platform. It's cross-mobile. Like, th- there's so many decision points with all these that PWA seems to hit a pretty good balance between all of them. So I'd be interested in it, but it'd be hard for me to say that I'd be jumping straight on that boat. You know. So uh, what you're saying is, uh, it's you know, PWA. PWA is a great choice. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, uh, WebAssembly and Blazor is, uh, you know, a really strong, comp- uh, really strong competition there. And maybe, maybe not even competition, but works together. So if you were to come up with, say, like a Pua Blazor or something, then you'd be in a great position to. Pua Blazor. Yeah. <laughs> Blazor Pua. <Fight> that battle. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Really cool stuff. And, and I mean, this was an interesting exercise because 
I didn't know this much about PWAs, and now I understand why it's kind of a cool rage, but I do feel like they need to fix some of this garbage. Well, yeah, Joe Zach has no tip of the week. I guess, if you, <laughs> I guess, I guess if you were to do a, a PW app in Blazor, though, could you call it a PWAB? A, P, <laughs> a PWAB Blazor? PWAB. <laughs> PWAB Blazor? No, 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 just PWAB. 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 <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, if we're trying to like make up uh, terms here, you know, why not? All right, let's let's buy right. the domain now. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna have a bunch of links uh, to some resources that we like for this episode. Bunch. Uh, yeah, just a few. And with that, uh, Joe will desperately try to search for his as we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip it's of the week. The tip of the week. Yeah. So unfortunately, Joe stole my first one, but <laughs> it's. It's Can't worth it's worth checking out. So pwabuilder.com actually has a thing where you can put in your website and it will try and bundle up your thing. Like I'm putting in coding blocks right now. I'm going to hit start and it will generate a manifest. It'll generate a service worker. It'll check your security to make sure that you use an HTTPS and all that. So it will actually try and bundle up the application for you so that you can deploy it, which is really cool, right? Like uh, I like not having to do that much work and that's amazing. So the next one that I think is really cool as well is, so we mentioned that the manifest files, you know, no big deal. There's only a few things there, right? Until you start looking at the fact that Android needs certain things. And if you have different screen resolutions that you need different pixel densities for the images and all that, there's another, another website called real fav icon generator.net. And it sounds like it's all about fav, fav icons or fav icons. But it's not. You can actually have it generate your manifest file, which is really cool because you can point it at an image that you have on on your local, right? Let's say that you created an SVG for your particular application. So ours would be like our little CB thing, right? It will actually go and generate the PNG files for the various different sized devices and the cool part is it'll even let you set the background for each one of them, right? So iOS has a particular theme for their icons on their desktop. It'll allow you to tweak it for iOS. It'll allow you to tweak it for Android. It'll allow you to tweak it for Windows. So, And it will even give you a visual representation of what those things looked like after it generated them. So it's a really nice little checklist to see, hey, did this turn out how I wanted it to on every single platform? And it'll generate your manifest file for you. So it'll create your images, create your manifest. You can copy that stuff and put it directly in your project and you're good to go. So pretty cool stuff. Now here's a, here's a funny little bit though, related to your PWA builder. So I was like, uh-huh. Oh, I'm going to put in google.com and let it build, build my uh, PWA <laughs> google.com for all of their PWA efforts failed for the manifest and service worker. Awesome. According to P- PWA builder. Nice. Well, ours ours did too, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. We're in good company. Really right. We are. In good it's company. so easy, but uh, you know, we, priorities. But in fairness, <laughs> the reason like why we failed for because we don't have a manifest file and we don't have a service worker file or any of that. So yeah. well, apparently there's a plugin for it. Yeah, we just got to install Super PWA. So maybe by the time you're listening <laughs> to this, we'll have a PWA and everything will be different. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right, Joe. <laughs> 
I think it's your turn. Right. Yeah, well, um, thanks to uh, Dave Fullett for um, sending me a great recommendation here on the. Oh, the, I forgot uh, date. about that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> pulled it. I pulled it off at the last second here. I was headed for the ground. Uh, yokes up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dave mentioned, uh, you know, I asked about a better system for a calendar. I said that I couldn't find one. He sent me the International Fixed Calendar, which is a 13 month calendar with 28 days each because each month has 28 days. And then there's uh, exactly one day left over that's not in any month to make uh, to make things work. Every day of the year falls on the same day. So if your birthday is on a Wednesday last year, it's on Wednesday for the rest of your life. So anyway, it's a cool calendar. It's International Fix Calendar, 30 months. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, let me see what, if I can figure out what they named the months. But I don't know that I want that, though. I mean, do you? I mean, like, <laughs> if, you're, if your birthday was on a Sunday... Yep. Then I mean, there's going to be sometimes that you're going to want that birthday on a Friday. I mean, especially you know, like that 21st birthday, you're going to want that to be on a good day, right? Yeah, but if your birthday is on a Saturday, then your birthday is on a Saturday the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you were like got one of the lucky days, sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't argue with that. I did uh, the extra month. By the way, is named Soul. And it basically is in between June and July. Uh, I like how my logic was sound and you were just like, okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to, to argue with it. I was just thinking, you know, it's no, there's no, there is no argument to it. It's, that's, that's just the way it is. Doodly, doodly, doodly. So what were the you names of the other months? Lottery then? Or not. Did, did uh, everything else is the same? Oh, they kept all the other month names. Yep. So uh, if you tell me a date, I can tell you what month it will end up in. It's okay. like my birthday would still be in June. I got gotcha. you. Hey, wait. I think I've used Outlaw's tip before. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So let's find out. <laughs> so, so well, there's just two quick ones. And and we probably have mentioned some, but I thought like, okay, well, these are worth mentioning. Um, so in our Slack channel, if you're not already part of our Slack channel, you should become a part of our Slack channel, you can head to www.codingblocks.net slash Slack uh, and find the information there to join our Slack. But we have a tips and tools channel there. And Sean wrote in, there was a conversation about like, oh, hey, let me just create a, a fake email address for this other service. And Sean was like, hey, no, you don't have to do that. You could just add a plus and then some other, you know, word or whatever to your existing email address. And, uh, you know, now you have this like quote fake new email address, right? So like if your email address was John at example.com, then you could say John plus, uh, I don't know, Facebook at example.com. And that could be your Facebook login account, right? And it would just be for Facebook. So, uh, you know, and, it, and we often talk about it as being part of the you know Gmail experience, but, um, it was actually pointed out in our Slack community that that's actually part of the email standard. So I do want to point out here, I love the tip. I use it a lot and it will also frustrate you to the ends of the earth because almost nobody uses the proper email validation and it will fail on at least half of the sites out there. So and to make matters worse, this is the part that's really frustrating is some places will use get URLs whenever they're doing things. And so it'll totally break when you go to try and log into something. So it's 
I love the tip. I it has probably bitten me as much as it's helped me over time. I I've had better experience than you. Oh, from hey, look, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I set this up so you remember my VW folks, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, my yeah. VW sports wagon I had. Well, they had the buyback program, and I was like, well, I don't want to get spammed from these people. I want to know when it happened. So I had like you know my email plus VW at gmail dot com, right? So I'm trying to get my rebate and it keeps failing and I call up customer service. So they're like, we don't know what's going on. And so I start digging through the Chrome tools and I find that they were encoding the stuff going across. And so it was breaking my email address. So I had to troubleshoot their system to figure it out so I could get my money for the buyback. So yeah, man, like there's so many times that I've had issues with it that it's like, man, I've almost stopped doing it because it's such a pain. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the takeaway there is use it sparingly on like the places where you don't care. Maybe if there's money involved, maybe that's an example of one where you do care. You don't use it. Yeah. A lot of money. Don't do it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, any rate, it it was worth reminding. And then another one that was also worth reminding in that same kind of vein was that, um, I think we've talked about this before, but, uh, Dave, here you are again. Uh, for the record, I had my tip in here first from Dave. <laughs> Joe, Joe's stealing that one too, so he's stealing everybody's tips. But we've talked about how you could snap uh, your windows in, uh, like if you're in Windows eight, seven, seven, eight, ten. Uh, you know, you could use like the window key and the arrow keys to move the windows around. And now in like Windows ten, you can also like quarter it to one particular corner. So, um. Just thought it was worth to mention again, especially the fact that you could do the quarter ring, because I don't believe that that was something that we had discussed previously at the time. I think when we had talked about this before, you could only uh, like like split screen it to like the right half or the left half of the screen. But, um, you know, that has since been improved. And there was a, a link that he provided that was like, oh, hey, here's all the information you need. So I thought it was worth a, a reminder. And you know, uh, here's a here's the tip I should have given. You should go follow Dave uh, Dave Follett over on Dev.2. Like we talked about Dev.2 a lot tonight, and uh, Dave has written some really good posts over there. His latest post is actually four tips for workplace pranks, which I highly recommend. There's nothing dangerous in there, and uh, <laughs> so some pretty cool stuff with uh, googly eyes, which I've uh, I've now purchased and have been sneaking him onto statues around my house and stuff. And it's fun when my wife finally finds them. So go follow Dave. Excellent. Uh, that's about it. Um, so today we talked about plus and uh, all the reasons that you should go ahead and, <laughs> and uh, go that extra, like mile, that. <laughs> extra mile to uh, make your, your website progressively enhanced with uh, PWAs or progressive web applications. So hopefully you're convinced. And if not, that's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And uh, like Alan mentioned before, uh, be sure to head to www.codingblocks.net slash review and uh, leave us a review if you haven't already. And uh, we would appreciate it if you shared us with a friend. Yep. And while you're up there, go ahead and check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to Facebook. <laughs> 
All right. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks. So head over to CodingBlocks.net where you can find all our social links at the top of the page. Mm-hmm.